From CoLab and MIT, this is Here There Be Dragons. I'm Jess Myers. For this show, I spoke to seven New York natives from all over the city about safety and identity. The episodes that follow are their stories and experiences. This episode's theme is public housing. In this episode, we'll hear from... My name is Sarita Gates. Hi, my name is Stephanie Castillo. My name is Justin Steele. I'm Fernando Montejo. Public housing, the projects, have a reputation in New York, even to people who have never been to the city. They are at once a low-income family's best housing resource and places feared for crime and violence. For the New York natives I spoke to, the projects are complicated. Who's supposed to be there? Who should stay away? The next voice you'll hear is Sarita. My name is Sarita Gates. I am 27 years old. I'm from Southside Jamaica, Queens. I am black, 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 black. I am <laughs> a dream director. I am a digital archivist. I am uh, a culture creator. I don't know if I've ever met a New Yorker who hasn't really experienced project buildings. I like. I think it's like project buildings to New Yorkers are like apple pie. We can't really have one without the other. And and specifically living in New York, like I like I wonder how many projects there are in New York City. And so I don't I don't know that I've met a person that has not had some relation with the projects or if they do we've never discussed it so i am not clear on what their um, ideals are about it the reputation of new york projects precedes them so what do new yorkers think about them hi my name is stephanie castillo um, i am 23 years old i grew up in the hunts point neighborhood of the south bronx but i currently live in co-op city and um, I am a community organizer and also a writer. If you come across, and, and this could be like in Manhattan or Brooklyn or even in the Bronx, if you're commuting, you stay away from the projects. Like, don't go too into West Harlem or um, East Harlem. Like, don't hang out around the projects. I was checking out an apartment in East Harlem around like, 105th Street, but it was like on First Avenue, and there's like a couple projects back there. And my friend and I had just, I had just finished um, meeting up with my friend, but we had gone shopping, and so we had like all these big, these big bags. And the chick who I was supposed to, I found this apartment on Craigslist. <laughs> the chick who I was supposed to be meeting was late, and so we just wanted to sit down. And so we're like, oh, like let's try to find a, a bench. Um, so we walked into the projects to see if we can find a bench. And then after a while, we were like, we don't look like we belong here. And he was like, yeah, stuff, because you have, like, all your fucking shopping bags, like, from, like, your Fifth Avenue shopping bags, of course. Like, you're, like, you know, it's like you have, like, a red dot on you right now. And so we, like, get out, but we, I don't know what it was. Like, you know, like, we're both of color. There was, like, this class, like, we felt, like, this class difference, even though, like, I'm from, like, working background, and so is he. Like, the way we were dressed just looked super, like, like, indie and, like, super indie and super, like, we belonged, I don't know, like, in Williamsburg or something. My name is Justin Steele. I'm 37 years old. I'm from the Upper West Side, West 89th Street, and I am a professor. There's a public housing development close to our house. 
that I would often walk by going various places in our neighborhood. And I felt very comfortable around it, but I definitely had the sense that I didn't belong inside it. Because as you probably know, the public housing buildings in New York often follow the towers and the park model. So there's often playgrounds and parks inside them um, and often shortcuts uh, through them. But I, I guess I always felt like I probably didn't belong there and that it was better to stick to the main street instead of cutting through. I was, I was working with some um, even younger people than I who uh, lived in a, a housing development in Brooklyn. It was the Red Hook Houses. And I'm trying to remember what exactly we were doing. <laughs> we had been given by the director of this organization, we'd been asked to do something. Maybe we were, I think we might have been doing something so mundane as putting up flyers about an event in this community garden in some of the houses. But I feel like there was something more than that, though I can't remember exactly what it was. It might have been delivering vegetables from the garden. I'm not sure, but I was with two young people from the, from the Red Hook houses. And um, we were walking up to one building, and there were a couple guys who were um, in a window a couple flights up who started yelling at us. Um, because they were very concerned about who I was because they felt that obviously I did not belong and they were concerned that I was a police officer and um, then some other people got upset and um, and the the young people I was with who were younger than I was uh, but much more savvy were, were very able to tell these guys don't be ridiculous this guy works at the community organization there's no need to get so bent out of shape we're just putting up flyers or doing whatever we're doing um, but there was just a little bit of a sense of, oh, it feels like I'm not supposed to be here. And there was this, I, I felt this sense of like, oh, I was very presumptuous to think that I could, you know, be a part of this project and, and you know, help out these young people and do this thing when it seems clear that I, I it seems very clear to these guys that I don't belong. And that's potentially putting uh, me at risk. And I was even more concerned putting the people, the young people I was with at risk. But worked out fine in the end. I'm Fernando Montejo. I'm 27 years old. I'm currently a student at MIT doing a city planning master's program. Um, I'm also a partner and a brother and a son um, and a friend, many friends. Uh, I was born in Corona, Queens in New York City. I grew more wary of going to public housing, which was interesting because Typically, I would assume when people first go is when they feel the most scared and then they become more relaxed. For me, it was the opposite. I became more scared and aware of going there as I spent more time working at NYCHA. NYCHA is a New York City housing authority. So it's the city's public housing agency, which manages 334 campuses all over the five boroughs, about 178,000 apartments. You know, it was, a, it was a time, and I think it's still going, ongoing, of trying to raise alarm about the magnitude of crime that goes on in public housing. And so, you know, not only is it a conversation that we had in the headquarters, now you see it on TV. Just recently, a friend of my friend got shot in one of the Brooklyn developments. You know, so it, for some reason, and I don't know if maybe I just was oblivious to it before, um, crime in public housing has become much more visual to me now, visible. Um, and it's on, I feel like it's on the news more now, and um, it's a focus of our mayor and the administration. So it's, it's, it was more 
everywhere. You know, like as I grew, as I had more time at NYCHA than when I first started, or even before I, I was aware of NYCHA. I didn't even know NYCHA existed before. I just knew there were projects. Never even thought about they could all be managed by the same organization. The Bronx was the only time I actually felt unsafe um, while working in public housing. Uh, there was a shootout one time when I was there and I was like introducing the new cohort of AmeriCorps that were succeeding me when I had become a full-time employee. Um, and I was showing them around like this is what we do and sure enough we hear gunshots and you know like we have to go into a room and like lay low for a bit and come out and the police are there and escorting people out and stuff. So it scared them a lot because it was like their first day there. Um, I didn't get too scared, but I was like, okay, you know, I need to be more careful because this actually does happen. And crime has been increasing in public housing. Um, as I spent, you know, like my last couple of years there and Mayor de Blasio made it a priority of his to focus on public housing. But in general, the crime that was going on there, um, you know, like it added the fact that I learned the numbers behind it kind of made me a little bit more aware every time I did go out. Despite working there or living around them, most New Yorkers I spoke to couldn't tell me what it's like to live in the projects. Sarita was the only one. So how does the reputation of public housing change when your family lives there, when your family's history is tied up in this piece of New York history? I think the the projects to my family just re represent a time period. Like I still have family in the projects, very much so. And I think it's a, it's kind of like a, it's like the gift and a curse. Like a lot of things went down in the projects, but you also had like some really really great times in the projects as well. So, um, just you know, just inside of that space is like I could never talk down on the projects by any means because, like. I, like, not to say, I grew, but I grew up there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I went to my family's houses and I lived in buildings my entire life. So I understand um, what it's like to live in, in the projects and all project buildings. And so inside of that, I think they, they are clear of what the value that was for their lives. My family, like, dominated, like, three or four projects. <laughs> So it was it was the pink houses on London Boulevard, um, Fort Greene in Fort Greene. So it's like five different projects in Brownsville. Like Brownsville has the large largest population of projects, like period. So I think they lived in like one or two of those projects. But just as far as why they moved um, to Brooklyn, I guess it's because you know. So my grandmother was a part of the era when people had nineteen kids. <laughs> And so she was part of the, the second set of 10. And so all of them moved to Brooklyn. So, yeah, like, so living in the projects during that time, you got a lot of resources. You could be kind of like, you got a nice size apartment. Even now, like, nobody's really trying to give up a project apartment. Your rent is stabilized. You can have a rent party and make rent. Like, you're good. Um, and so inside of that, you got to, you kind of got to keep the down southy feel in New York. Just thinking about, like, I just threw my mother a 65th birthday party, and just thinking about, like, the different families that came from, like, the projects were all somewhat um, similar to, to my family as well. So it's like, you know, so-and-so from 5B that used to live in the pink houses, I've known their family for my entire life. So it's kind of like that 
that type of thing. I've heard people say, you know, negative things about the projects, but I feel like it's also because they don't, they have no um, experience with them, one, but two, because they can't navigate them. I mean, it's so many things you learn just like living in a project. Like you can put, like I've been in some of like the worst projects at night by myself. Like I can navigate it. And not to say I'm the biggest or the baddest by any means, but I am fortunate to have had that experience where I feel like I could go any place in the world and make it out. Of all the buildings in the city, project buildings can seem the most anonymous, the most threatening. Rumors of crime and incidents of violence make us forget that they are also homes, that they have a history that is deeply tied to the city. Sarita reminds us that public housing was and is home to some very deep bloodlines that run through New York, connecting it to the rest of the country. For many families, public housing is a needed foothold into the city and becomes the epicenter of their access to New York. This side of the projects is unfamiliar even to native New Yorkers, who often see the buildings for their broken windows and not the histories that live beyond them. Thank you for listening. This has been Here There Be Dragons. I'm Jess Myers, a grad student at MIT's Department of Urban Planning. Each person I interviewed for this podcast also drew a map of their childhood and adulthood in the city. You can find a link to those in the show notes. If you've visited or lived in New York and want to share your experiences with me, download the base map, use the maps in our gallery as your guide, and draw your own experiences of safety and danger in the city. I'll post them in the gallery. You can send those to us at collabradio at mit.edu. Or you can record a question or comment about the episode by calling into 1-888-821-7563, extension 58258. Some of those might be a part of the final episode of the series. Music for Here There Be Dragons is written by New York-based trio Octopus 2000. Check out more of their music on Facebook and join us next episode to talk about Harlem.